1: podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
2: inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill, joined today by Chris Beasley, Paul Wheelock and Gab Buckland, Look back on Everton's 5-1 win over Brighton at the Amex on Monday night. However, it would be wrong of us not to start this podcast by paying tribute to our former colleague and above all else, our friend Dan Kay, who sadly passed away on Sunday unexpectedly. The whole of the echo office was left devastated and shocked when the news come through on Monday that Dan had unfortunately passed away. Dan was a fine journalist and above all else, a decent human being and you couldn't wish to meet a nicer bloke. Obviously, he was affiliated with the red half of Merseyside following the Anfield club across the world. His deep, deep love for the Blues was, I think, unquestioned. And he was a reason why he was known as Purple Dan in the office. Chris, he was someone who worked with down yeah. for the 20-odd years that he was based here at the Liverpool yeah. Echo in a number of roles, obviously more closely on the sports side of things when he moves over to that. I think the tributes sleds that have been paid to him since he unfortunately passed away speak hardly of the man.
2: Yeah, I mean, I put I put myself on Twitter after the game, once I finished all my work at the Amex Stadium on on, on Monday night, obviously I'd heard the, the tragic news actually on the way to the game. We're on the, the train between Liverpool and London at the time, on the way to Brighton. And I said, that's for you, Dan. Um, as you say, known as Purple Dan, very much a passionate Liverpool fan. As you say, went around the world following um, the Reds. But Everton also genuinely did have a, a, mm-hmm. a, a real place in his heart. First football match he ever attended was at Goodison Park. I spoke very fondly of his Evertonian father and uh, kept an eye out really on, on all three clubs, Tramir rovers over as he'd go over to Brenton Park and, and watch them. Um, as well on a regular basis. Obviously, a lot of things that have come out now we've been about um, Dan's work with the, the Hillsborough families and that's one thing, isn't it, about those of us who are old enough to remember Hillsborough as, you know, the, the darkest day in, in Merseyside football history but also the way it brought um, all the people of Merseyside together and brought the best out of both Everton and Liverpool. I think possibly the first um, scarf had, um, put up on the cup was, a, was an Everton scarf and the way the two clubs and the fans of the two clubs came together after that, and the, the unity that he brought in the city, and in the decades afterwards, in, the, in that fight for justice, and um Dan was also at the forefront of that. But he's somebody personally, to me, similar age to myself, only a couple of years older than myself, like you say, worked for a couple of decades alongside him. Not just a work environment, many social occasions alongside him, and somebody who, who I played football with on many, many occasions. So. It'd be, it'd be sorely missed, and the great irony uh, of it all now is that you know that Dan's not here to see just how much he meant to, to so many people, and uh, um, the, the tributes have come in um, after his untimely passing.
1: Well, you're also someone who, who worked with Dan you know, very closely over the years, and, and like Chris, shared a football pitch where, You know, we've seen a lot of tributes from a lot of people, and and you know, no one's had a bad word to say about Dan after, and you know. It's just a shame that he's like Chris says, he's not allowed to he's not around anymore to see the, the love that people, people have for him.
0: No,
3: just uh echo everything Chris has said there. Yeah, you're absolutely and you're absolutely right, Connor. Uh it's emotional reading them, isn't it, over the last few days because he was generally one of life's good guys, uh, you know, a generally brilliant journalist, generally brilliant campaigner. And you know, I, I say I would play football with him, and him before I came over to the Echo, got got to know him even more when I come over here. But I know there's a lot of people out there who would have been close to him, probably even as colleagues and certainly as his friends. But someone I got on really well with, uh, and you, you were right; he was a huge red. He was a huge red. I worked with him on the on Liverpool podcast, but you know, he, he 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 did have he did have care for Everton through through those family connections. Actually, it was. Was looking sadly one of the last conversation I had with him over WhatsApp. <laughs> the conversation was mainly about the Blues, uh, rather rather than the Reds. Uh, but yeah, he was he was he, he cared about the city, didn't he? He cared about the the city. He cared about Merseyside. Uh, and and to him, yeah, of course, believe you me, <laughs> I'm sure we loved him When they usually beat us at Anfield, but he, he wanted a strong madison for the city as well because uh, this place was was his passion and his love and yeah it's uh it's it's really it's it's really sad obviously it's it's hit a lot of people at the echo and work with him hard. but as you say you know you, you can see is uh you can see his legacy's far gone far beyond you know working with us guys isn't it you know uh, with, with the tributes that are taking place and continues taking place so yeah yeah just uh yeah very sad
0: yeah
1: i think one of the the, the biggest things for me with with dan was around march April time last year I remember we were also having a, a few pints and Chewing the fattest as always about the football. And I remember, you know, the, the deep concern he had for Everton at the time. And, you know, there was a big debate around the time around that the feeling of the poor fans towards Everton possibly going down. And, you know, there was quite a lot out there who, who were openly kind of saying, you know, they take great joy in, in watching Everton play in the championship, but Dan was not one of them. I remember him, you know, quite openly, you know, saying that he would be supporting the Blues from, from that, that from that moment on now, he, that little bit more because he was. Desperate for them to stay in the Premier League and desperate for Merseyside side to have his to remain and like you say there we are above all else think he loved the city of Liverpool more than more than anything and I know me personally haven't had the pleasure of working with Dan getting to know Dan and spending time with Dan I'm, I'm certainly a better person for it and you know on behalf of everyone at the blue Podcast and and the Echo in general you know our, our thoughts and condolences go to Dan's family and friends at this this sad time and they'll be remaining our thoughts and prayers over the next coming days weeks and months ahead. Chris, there was a big football match yeah. on Monday evening. I think we always say on this podcast that every game yeah. Everton lately play is a big game and one of huge importance. Monday's was no different. I think every Everton fan who was heading down to the South Coast, and perhaps you and Joe Thomas included, yeah. was thinking a point would be a good result yeah. for Everton you know, keep them alive in the battle to avoid the draw, show that little bit of hope that they can you know get results when it matters. What Evertonians and yourselves and Joe got at the Amex yeah. was a 5-1 <laughs> victory in which Everton were 3-0 up after, I think it was 35 minutes. Yeah. Where on earth did that come from, Chris?
2: Yeah, yeah. Someone else, another former colleague of ours who remain unnamed at this point, but, you know, did <laughs> someone of this parish, and probably we all probably agreed, that he'd snap your hand off for the points before mm. a ball was kicked at the Amex Stadium, and I'm, I'm sure we, we were all kind of fe- feeling like that. But, yeah. Um, it felt like a seismic shift in the tectonic plates of the relegation mm-hmm. battle. Um, yeah, that nobody saw it coming. We, we saw it coming, as Sean Dyke said, we saw it coming in. It was a very encouraging performance at Leicester City, where he sh- couldn't perhaps should have gone on to get more of that, although ironically, <laughs> there was you know, a penalty kick away from being 3-1 down. But that was an encouraging display. But it was high time that Everton produced a performance and a result more than anything to back that up wasn't it wasn't it one win in 11 going into that yeah at some point very soon they had to get a win and they've done that they got that monkey off their back away from home emphatic fashion it it really was a masterclass in in counter attacking football was it 22% something like that possession but they made it they made it count and I think it's not just what it does for Everton hopefully it gives them the uh, the confidence of going into those remaining three games to finish the job now It's going to have, hopefully, a real psychological blow on those around them. Because as much as we were surprised, pleasantly surprised, you know, with Everton winning 5-1, just think of what that does in the heads of Leicester City, um, Mm -hmm. Leeds United, even Nottingham Forest, I suppose, who who went on to win later on. So it's twofold in that respect. But for me, it's gone from, I feared the worst before that game. I think after Newcastle, maybe like a lot of Evertonians, a lot of my hope had gone after them. And and I thought that Everton would get relegated and at this point it's given us that renewed hope and for me it'd actually be a real travesty now if that ended up being a hollow result a horrible victory at Brighton and they didn't actually finish the job after it. just the way they've changed it all around now with that one emphatic result
1: Gav just when you think you've gone this club's and yet, as far as they can go they go and suck you right back in
0: <laughs> nobody's seen that coming did we and I think i say I think we all would have snapped uh our arm off for a point. And um, but we did being inside at Leicester, hadn't we in the first half that the team can score goals and what we did really on, on Monday was we converted a lot of the opportunities that we'd missed at Leicester, hadn't we, certainly, in the first half? And uh, in fact it was five shots, five goals, wasn't it? And um yeah. And so there have been signs and, and, and away from home, I think we've only lost one in five, hadn't we, before the Brighton game? So away, our main problems being at home, strangely enough. But you are right, nobody saw that coming. It's, it's quite funny, isn't it? First, also, as well, nobody sees a first-minute goal coming through after 30 seconds. I never know what to do when that happens because, you know, there's no like build-up or, you know, there's no there's not, there's no, no, no massive build-up for it. You don't see it coming i was just eating me tea. <laughs> like I haven't yeah. scored? i just like carried on eating my tea. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. What are you supposed to do? Twenty-three, whatever it was, thirty-three seconds, and yeah. And the good thing about that is you can score. Yeah, that old cliche, score too early, but you never felt that did. Yeah, as soon as we scored, we were we looked solid, and uh, yeah, tremendous overall. And I would we'll talk about the game, but that was as good as what we played for many, many years in my eyes. To be honest with you.
1: I don't know. Gav's clearly got more confidence than, than me there, bees. Because when I was watching a four, yeah.
0: even a four-one,
1: and yeah. Brighton got one back, I was and I think, oh no, oh no, <laughs> don't concede again here too soon.
0: That, that, that's only that's fact. The the moments where I thought um that, that Brighton would coming in a 3 but but you just, you always felt that way. we had goals must in me on uh, on 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 Monday, but yeah, what a performance and fair play to everybody. It was good to, good to see the uh, the 9s and 10s on the Echo Office keyboards being, you, you know, taking the <laughs> cobwebs happened, off yeah,
2: them. You
0: <laughs> big yeah, taking the cobwebs off them to award uh, them, all the players, and uh, yeah, fantastic.
1: Paul, do you think the big thing for this was, though obviously, you know, we spoke at length on this podcast and I think you know, a lot of words have been written and wrote about Everton need to step up, they need to produce a victory, they need to produce a performance, they need to, you know really show that they can give the fans some hope and something to cling on to. This was one of them kind of games, wasn't it, where in 90 minutes, all oh, that come to the you know the fore, and, and essentially Everton showed that, you know, on, on this evidence, they should be playing Premier League football next season.
3: Yeah, I, I think as, as Gav said then, I know it's easy to say this in a, in retrospect now, but I, I was okay with what happened at Leicester. Like, I, I've, I, I know it was billed as a must win, but I was kind of the opinion that it's not. A must, it's a must not lose really, and a point was w- would have kept us in the mix. But it was the performance at Leicester that encouraged me because but we played some brilliant football that night, brilliant counter sacking football. And as you said earlier, Chris, you know I did leave Goodison on that Thursday night after Newcastle, thinking you know this this could be it, but Leicester dragged me back in a little bit. And I, and, and as Gab said on on Monday, the performance level went up again. But we were clinical this time, that was a, a big difference because we created a lot of chances at Leicester as well. But you're right, Connor. really, you know, <laughs> in many respects, who knows, you know, the other teams could keep losing. We, we, could, have, we could have drawn a couple and, and maybe we stay up that way. But it always felt before we got to those Wolves and certainly the Bournemouth game, we needed to pull the results out the bag. Uh, and, and we've certainly done that now because, yeah, if, if, we, if we would have gone there and got battered for 90 minutes and won 1-0, you know you would have you would have snapped your hand off for of that, let alone a point. But it was the it was the manner of the performance, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Gav's right. It was one of the best performances we've seen in years. For first half, was absolutely tremendous. The game plan worked to perfection. The speed at which we we counted and the quality of the final ball was uh, was tremendous. And the second half, yeah, it was nervy at times. And you know. We, it's cliche, but surely is it it's a true. It's, it's true the fact that Brighton had to perform better in the second half. They've got mm-hmm. some really good players. Sholly March came on, but he was excellent. He gave Makalenko a really tough time after he had a brilliant first half. tone was a good player, McAllister, uh, and we rode our luck at times. And the goalkeeper did his job with some with some great saves. But we were we were fully deserving winners, wasn't it? And it was. It's been a tough season, but certainly when that. That fourth and that fifth goal go on. And I know certainly our house <laughs> seen a lot of celebrations, you know, it was a really... We've not had enough moments like that. I'm really pleased for those away supporters in particular you, you go up and down the country because when we see, what, one away win this season before then, three in total over the last two seasons, it was a, yeah, I hope they had a really good day on the South Coast, it was a brilliant one.
1: Chris, before we get into, the you know, the game and, and obviously what transpired in with the performances and stuff, we were all closely watching Manchester City versus Leeds United on Saturday hmm. afternoon, which got a little bit edgy towards the end. I think more edgy than what we presumed and hoped it would be. Then on Monday afternoon, yeah. just before Everton kick-off, we all watch as Michael Silver's Fulham annihilate Leicester. I know Leicester come back late on, but you know they were falling up at one point in that second half. And all of a sudden you think, well, Everton again, you have been created, given hand an opportunity to take the initiative at in this and seize on that. And and, and kind of put you know their their own survival in their own hands. And it was so refreshing, wasn't it? See that they eventually took that that chance. Yeah. I know not to go for us, ended up beating Southampton yeah. after the Everton. But for Everton to, to back up the results of Leeds and Leicester with a victory and the victory in the manner the man, the man which they did was almost as pleasing as anything because we've been saying for weeks I and mean, we Everton keep getting left off the hook, left off the yeah. hook. But they never ever took the chance that had been presented to them. I Always like Marco Silva. Um,
0: <laughs> well, you wrote yourself, didn't you yeah. that there's a lot of former Everton
3: exactly. managers who are going to be that playing a role in this yeah. relegation. So to be
2: fair, that was good. battle. we yeah. got credit Mr. Buckland who uh, pointed that out to me, to be fair. The, the role that these managers with Everton connections are going to play in the running. Yeah, there's at least half a dozen of them there. Obviously, Big Sam is very much at the forefront an enemy you now, yeah. but the, the rest of them could all have a, a part to play in in, in helping. in Everton. Yeah it was um yeah like we said everton needed to needed a result to back up these this upturn and form but all of a sudden the momentum seems to have shifted now it's everton now who look to be at it in terms of the displays and then that emphatic um victory they're playing the, they're playing the best football of the teams who were down there by by quite a, a long way now but they needed that, that um That result. And it's almost like everything has sort of clicked into gear now. I know, unfortunately, Seamus Coleman is out injured. I don't think he's going to play again this season. But other than that, you could argue that Everton are now at full strength. Um, Yeri Mina finally came in, who many people consider to be the best centre back at the club, but who hadn't played for all the various reasons we've debated down here. He came in, played well with Tarkovsky. And um, even Amadou Anana, the biggest sign in the last summer, couldn't get back in the side because um, James Garner had, had done well in his absence, Dominic Carver-Lewin, apart from not getting a goal, that was uh, like, you know the, the ideal center forward's performance. So, yeah, it, I think all the other teams who are in and around Everton are going to be looking at Everton and are be concerned about really where their points are going to come from now. And uh, that's a massive shift,
1: isn't it? Gav, one man did return for the Blues on Monday. One man who me and you, I think, have been calling for to return for a long time. You spoke you know, last week after Leicester, where you said you know you hoped that Everton would essentially just wouldn't look back and think maybe if he had any mean a players, we might have been a different team. He was put back in the team over Michael Keane on Monday, much to the relief, I think, of supporters more than anything. And he delivered with a colossal performance. And instantly, I thought, made Everton look a lot stronger at the back and, in general, a better team.
0: Yeah, he gives. It, we've spoken about this in the weeks he's been absent, haven't we? He? he gives the team personality. Gives the defence personality. He makes the players around him look better. I think he probably inspires confidence of those around him. He's physically imposing, and he's got character. And in the absence of Coleman and you know, and Arnold being on the bench, that's something we've missed. And he and he gives us that. And what I was surprised about is is how fit he looked. Considering he not played for for three or four months in in terms of first team football, and it was in the same in the same it was quite an. I think think thinking thinking about this it was an easiest game for him in terms of like Brighton were forced out wide and just come crosses in, especially in the first first hour or so, and um, that's meeting thing for somebody like me. And enough, Michael Keane probably would have found that <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah. It was great to see him back and we looked far better defensively as a unit. And you know, I expect to see him playing playing against Manchester City. But let's face it, there was a lot more going on than that, really, in the team, wasn't it, the me? And I?
1: Would you surprise Gav, to see him get the nod to come to come back in? Because obviously a lot of been made kind of in the build up and, and a lot of being asked Sean Dyche, it must have been asked to Sean Dyche about. My Keane and Yari and stuff but it didn't seem like he was going to budge on that but yeah he did budge on it was you surprised by that?
0: Yeah after Dice's um, defence of Keane in his press conference certainly it
1: and, down, uh, didn't he, on, on my Keane essentially and why he should
0: be yeah. and I, I, I was very, like a lot of people I thought well that's Keenan on Monday hmm. but he, to be fair he, he sort of it was a brave decision and you know We've spoken about the importance of the game for the fans and the players and the club in terms of getting us away from the relegation zone, but it was also a massive game for Dyche.
1: Paul, I will come to you because Sean Dyche seems like a, a good point to stick with because, like just Gav just said there, there's been a lot of talk about Sean Dyche's tactics, the way he seems to be set up, his selections. I think I'd say pretty much anything to do with the way Everton have been in recent weeks. There's been a lot of a, a kind of points aimed at Sean Dyche. But this was one where he got absolutely spot on, wasn't it? Every call he made paid off, and everything that he had done worked.
3: Yeah, yeah, like, I like just. I remember the Fulham. I remember the United game, <clears throat> it was the first time that I probably said question date because I think we went four four two at Old Trafford, didn't we? A very high line, and uh, we got bits of and I think two was flattering to us by the end, and similarly against Fulham. But I suppose looking back. I think we had Coleman, Anana DeCore, and Calvert Lewin out. And you know, there's only so much you could you could work with there. But yeah, the the, the big thing what Gab was talking about then was the non-selection of Eno, wasn't it really? Because <clears throat> Cody at the time probably warranted losing his place. And you can understand him going with Michael Keane because he obviously had success with him. At Burnley, I presume he would have played. I know Ben Lee was a partner for a long time, but he would have known Tarkovsky. So I can understand Deitchie's like, reasoning there for, for for picking those two. Uh, and I don't think Michael Keynes has been quite as bad as a lot of people have made out. But unfortunately, he does have a habit of, of making mistakes. And I think in his time in the, the team, since he's come back, you could probably identify a number of goals, which, you know, would be his fault, to be honest. You know, even if they may have, like, you know, uh overshadow what would otherwise been a pretty pretty solid display. And I think if he hadn't have played Mina, it would have been a bit of a black mark over dice because he's clearly been fit for a long time now. As Gav said he 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 looks up looks in completely good shape than the on on Monday afternoon. Uh, and at least that's off his back now really whatever happens in these last three games, he's gave Mina a go and and he probably should have done it sooner. But managers can be stubborn, you know. Uh, and but he, he took the big decision. Maybe, maybe he wanted to keep key. Maybe double down on him, and and maybe he thought, "No, I want to keep on with this." But he's seen something that I think the supporters have been seeing in recent weeks as well. So, uh, yeah, a big win for Everton, but a really big win for Dyche, and all the players deserve all the credit that they've got in the, the in the last few days. But as I said earlier, credit to Dyche as well because for his tactical plan and and and. and and, and the way we executed was absolutely brilliant. You know, Brighton may have played into our hands a little bit with, with the crosses. Maybe they were a little bit tired after beating United a few days earlier, but I don't think any other team has done that to, to Brighton uh, this season. So yeah, credit to him and credit to the players.
1: Credit to the players, yeah, Chris. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks on Everton's attacking players. Yeah. He scored five goals, win 5-1. But I genuinely think there's an argument to be made that the person between the sticks for everton yeah. could have quite easily been man of the match because although it's, we ever won five on and they did so in an emphatic style some of those saves in the second half from jordan pickford were nothing short of superb and once again we stepped up where it matters most forever just like he did last season yeah. when we think of the chelsea game and i'll be always banging the drum on on this podcast about why he gets unfairly criticized and you know, for me, I think it's absolutely my book and kind of Ramsdales and the couple better goalkeepers down, But yeah. he just showed again on, on Monday why we regard him in such high esteem.
2: Yeah. Um we don't do half marks with 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 our echo rating. Like we are just for straight in aren't you? Yeah, yeah, straight yeah, in. Um, yeah, but talk talking the tunnel after the game on Monday night Pickford was retting and it was a nine point five that from yeah. himself. Um but yeah, he got a nine for it. got a nine from me. He he very Evan was so on top in the first half. I don't recall him having a proper save to make in the first half, and it's not that Evan eased off. It was inevitability, wasn't it? The Browns mm. were going to come out stronger. A quadruple substitution yeah. at the break. I saw Freedom come on. I didn't realise it. first; it was actually before <laughs> they were bringing on. Um, so it wasn't going to be inevitable that they'd be throwing the kitchen sink at Evan to to try and get back into it after the break. And yeah, like you say, when when he needed to be to, to be called upon, there was a couple. I think from. Ferguson, who was one of the substitutes, uh, one of the bright prospects that Brighton have got. Even he was unfortunate with it, with the goal as well, uh, when, it, when it finally did come. But, yeah, world-class saves. I mean, three or four of them at least, you, you count on that. And I know that one of them was, they wouldn't have counted, but you know he's not to know that when he when mm-hmm. he's making the save. But, yeah, absolutely magnificent. And the fact that they were able to keep Brighton at arm's length. Because if they'd have they pulled one back early, and then we maybe we really would have been ooh mm. you know if anyone's going to throw this away it'd be Everton but um now absolutely world class display and again it's testament to him he was able to do that after such a quiet first half he maintained that concentration retained um that focus to to deliver when it when it mattered and he was kept busy in that 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 that's that second half and uh yeah, he was a, a really outstanding performance, like I say, when it mattered. And again, he's he's taken on the responsibility of captaincy with Seamus Coleman out as well. So that's another big one from him with Pickford leading my example.
1: Gavin you know, obviously you spoke a lot about Jordan Pickford and, and, uh, and Everton and stuff like that over, over over time. But there is that thing now, isn't it? He's become, you know, that person when, when he needs to step up and perform He just step up and perform. And, not just, you know, against Brighton at the Armex on Monday night, but against Leicester the, fault the previous Monday, the King Power, as he makes that penalty save. These are big moments that ultimately could end up keeping Everton in the Premier League, just like the big moments he produced last year, kept
0: Everton in the Premier League. And I'm sure if we stay up, we we'll look back at the penalty save from Madison as being the turning point of the season, won't we? Yeah. Things to be fair, because we go into that, that game, six points of, you know, relegation battle, the 3 1 down at half time. You know, you coming back from that. You no, know, in terms of your own morale, so that penalty save was, in, it could was priceless. That was maybe, maybe worth three points in itself. So mm. it by the end of the season, and um, yeah, and some, some, sometimes with Pickford, you you sort of get a couple of games last season. He seems to have this mindset, and it's quite apparent, isn't it? When when the team with the pressure, nothing is getting past me today. Mm. And he saw it last year at Man United at home and Chelsea at home. And he saw it on on the second half on Monday, and he was unlucky that the you know the, the only goal they scored was off off the post and off somebody player line on the floor. So don't think we can blame him for that. But yeah, he he was uh, he was exceptional and an exceptional team display on on Monday, and. Um, he uh, certainly kept us. I'm not to say kept us in the game, but he, he ensured that you had the same amount of confidence that we'd, um, we'd win, even though we did. That you know, as Chris was saying, we did have a bit of a barrage to face in the, in the second half. But yeah, he was he was excellent. But so was everybody else.
1: Paul, one man who didn't get his name on the score sheet, but played a key part in absolutely had the quarry's opener and looks. A million miles from what we've seen in terms, but in offering Everton, leaving the line was Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, a lot has be made of him in recent weeks in his return. And, but we are now, I thought on Monday night, on Monday evening, we saw kind of the real Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who who was instantly improved the Everton team, and, and quite simply, Everton just looked a better team with him leaving the line, don't they?
3: Yeah, I thought he was uh, magnificent in the first half. I thought he gave the Dunk the run around, and making, and think brought him down at one stage he was just uh i think i think that that's the key word he's sharp isn't he he looks really sharp uh and you know for a long time we wondered if if, if and when he was going to play again this season but t- towards touching this wooden desk in front of me here it, it, it may have been a slight gamble to keep him back to keep him back but maybe not maybe it was worth missing him a few more games to get this get this real dominic and he he looks like he's enjoying his football, doesn't he? I imagine it must be very hard for them this season and last season, the amount he's missed. But he makes such a huge difference to, to have it. And I think, I know, like in, in football now, in recent years, it's gone away from having a centre forward, isn't it? You have like false nines or you play with, you know, players who aren't out and out strikers. But certainly at this club, we've always liked the number nine, haven't we? And, uh, Deitch, he particularly with the the play, the way Daiq wants to play, he needs he needs someone who can hold the ball up there because we've got a lot of pace around. And McNeil, particularly, he's playing so well at the moment. Isn't the i thought Played really well in the other night as well. Head <laughs> really in support of Calvert Lewin, but he, he, it's absolutely massive. It's you know again, fingers crossed, touching this desk again. We, we survive, and when we can look back at the end of the season and you know and, and reassess like what's happened, but. Uh, I just can't see us being in the trouble that we're in if we if we had Calvert Lewin all season. He's, uh, he, he's he's huge for us and he's a really really good player. We shouldn't forget about that. You know the injuries the last two seasons. Before then, he was playing uh, for England and scoring for England, wasn't he? I think he was unquestionably the number two centre forward behind Harry Kane. Uh, and you know he's still not quite at those levels, but I think even from the Palace game on again, I thought he was sharp that night. Newcastle didn't have many chances, but the one he took, he did brilliantly. But unfortunately, he was offside. And then, but he was really good against last day. Got his goal from the and Yeah, he didn't score on Monday night, but he did everything else. I thought, particularly the first half, he was absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, just say hope he stays fit for these last three games. And if he does, it's a good chance we get the points we need.
1: That's the big thing now, Crystal, isn't it, for Dominic Carver, staying fit because, you know, He's shown how good he'd be. He's shown how much of a difference he makes to the 7th side. He's shown how much of a threat he is. All the things that we kind of hoped that will will come when Dominic calvert room returns and be a better team, he's not going to pick up. Has all kind of happened. <coughs> but now the big thing is him staying fit because, like we've seen before, he's come back, had burst, and then next thing you know, he's out He's out the team and he's missing them for four, six, eight weeks or even longer.
2: Yeah. Well, at least he can't be missing for that long now There's only three games. Huh? To go, but yeah, the dice will say that he's vindicated playing the long game in that respect of waiting and waiting until he was at a level where he could operate in this optimum physical um condition that he's in. Yeah, the, like I say, said in my, um ratings at the time, as Paul's just said there, of them not getting the goal, it was a complete center forward performance. But you know, it wasn't in like that way that we, should, in many ways, would describe it. the traditional Everton center forward in that it wasn't just about. Power, you know, there was silk as well as steel in there. A pirouette for the, the first goal, goal. and it's not, it wasn't like. And I suppose said it wasn't the only time that he did it. Came the the, the real run around, Yeah, the great mobility, which he wasn't really producing even mm-hmm. when he was in the side early in the season. He's operating at a totally different level physically now, and um, in fact, he's able to put in these these subtle touches as well. Uh, yeah, it was a great display, but yeah, I just need to to keep him at, at, at those levels now. And then just hopefully the, the way towards the end, back end of last season, was it was it Brentford and Palace, he got the goals against? Maybe we could have something similar this time around from him and uh, get the team over the line.
1: Gav, one man who's had somewhat of an Everton revival in, in recent months, is applied to Corey. Obviously frozen out by Frank Lampard. Looked like he's going to leave the club in January. Comes back in under Sean Dyche, does really, really well. And stupidly gets sent off against Tottenham misses three matches. then three games look like they're going to play a huge part in Everton not managing to keep preserve their Premier League status. I think if anything, Sean Dyche looks a bit lost in, in some of them games how to actually operate without the core right. But he back in the team, he, he back on two goals on Monday night. And it's almost like now for Everton stay up the revival's like complete, isn't it? In the sense of he's gone from you know the outcast villain to, to almost like the relegation hero. <laughs> yeah.
0: Funny old funny old year he's had hasn't he really really was in January. Had an interesting four months, you know, out the team, rumours of being sold in the January transfer window. Out of favour, Frank comes back in, gets sent off. Could uh, you know, as it as it happened, could hamper our Premier League survival because of the, as you say, uh Connor's dice didn't really know how to get the team set up to to replicate what we had. And now we're scoring two goals in the first half. Yeah, and it's quite obvious, isn't it, that what he does is he gives us a bridge between the midfield and, and the center forwards, helped by, his side, by the fact that Calvert Lewin you know, is fit and firing and, and that's helped to Corey as well and he gets into places on the pitch that I don't think any other Everton player gets into, certainly if you're not a striker and, and we saw that and They were two I thought they were two great goals in slightly different ways. The 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 midfield run for the first one and the the second one. I think he started the move for the second one, didn't he? He did, yeah. that was that was a great goal that. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the McNeil cross to I mean, technically that's that's a great goal because he wasn't on the six yard box and blasted past the keeper. He probably only had from where he was at a very small Gap to get the ball in, and here's the first time, and it was a slightly awkward height, wasn't it? Really, as well. Uh, that was great technique, and um yeah, he thought he was he was superb on on Monday, and, and he's shown what we missed in the th- in the three games. He was he was out because of the red card. And he said, "What's he got? Has he got four. What's he got? Has he got four or five goals since he's come back in, something like that." Is it four, now? Which is, four, yeah, yeah. Which is a, which is a good return. Considering he's not played in all the matches, so yeah, he was he was uh, he was another one who had a who had the great game on 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 Monday. He looked really hungry and, and sharp, and they hope he can keep through that for the the, the last three games.
1: One player, Paul, who's somewhat gone under the radar, I think, in recent weeks, but he's come in. He's done well. He's done enough against Leicester at the King Power on Monday night to keep him doing. I off the team at the Amex, and that was James Garner. Obviously, coming in the summer from Manchester United. Frank Lampard spoke very highly of him during his reign. I think he was kind of the, the player Lampard had the highest hopes for. I think in terms of his his, jan- his summer signings, obviously struggled with injuries a little bit, and obviously missed the last chunk of of the the campaign under Frank Lampard due to injury. But are we now starting to see in a sort of quiet way just how effective and how good James Garner can can be moving forward?
3: Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm. I'm glad I can say something nice about him because I was cursing him at half time. To be honest, because oh, a pessimistic Evertonian that I am, I was saying, yeah. "Oh my god, I hope that doesn't come back to haunt us that miss. Like, uh, I mean, but, just, uh, just
1: just just on that ball, that just someone's been Everton isn't it? Like you're three 0 away from home, <laughs> and you're cursing someone missing the chance to make a four 0 Believe you me, it wasn't
3: until the fifth went in that I started <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> but with two minutes to go, he we was safe then. But no, uh, yeah, he, he should have scored. He should have scored. But he's 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 quite tidy, isn't he? You know, he's quite understated in there. Uh, and if a few weeks ago, if you would have said that he'd be keeping Amadou and Arna out of the side, you know, you would have been surprised really given how important he's been at times for in this season, even though I think you and Chris and Joe have, have spoken recently how he probably needs to step it up a little bit and Arna and maybe maybe Sean Knight just seeing that, not so much a criticism in Arna, but obviously there was a chance for him, Garner, to come into the team and. And Arno was injured. And then he was ill, wasn't he? So, and he's certainly taken it. And the, there was a nice, there was a nice balance there on on Monday. Uh, for just a guy played pretty well as well. I think he was a bit more disciplined. I know he loves to go and get the ball wherever it is on the pitch. But I think he he, he sat back a little bit more on Monday and kind looks a good footballer. Uh, you know, we're we're all hoping, obviously, we'll be in the Premier League, <laughs> but whatever division we're in. I think Garner's probably going to have a big role to play, isn't he? Uh, it's it, you know, and I say let's just hope it's the top plate, But I was reading another piece from the MEN before uh, the Manchester Evening News talking about the lad who was on loan at Sunderland. Is it Ahmad, who, who scored at the weekend? And uh, he, the the uh, Man United writer Samuel Lockers was talking about how they're going to integrate him back into the squad. This lad because they've let too many young players go. And he was saying there's still a, a bit of a feeling at Man United about Garner that. They, they shouldn't have let him go. They shouldn't let him go because he had been there for a number of years. It was just that, you know, his his, his path was blocked. But they still really highly rate him, and and that was good to read because it kind of backs up what we're seeing on the pitch at the moment. So uh, yeah, I think he's done. I think he's done pretty well. And I know Chris, one of your pieces for this morning for the paper and the and uh, the website, you were talking about. It's the big decision, isn't it? Really, that you that you just got to make on Sunday to to keep going or keep or bring Anana back in, but. I think for me at the moment i'll probably stick with him and
1: that's uh yeah testament to how he's playing chris after the game on monday night yeah. jordan pickford did an interview in which he said the job's not done we've still got three cup finals to go yeah. and this is the big thing for everton now isn't it because you they've still got three games to go they're not safe no. officially safe they've still got to get themselves over the line and they can't just rely on that one win on Monday and they'll it and We're safe okay. because, you know, we, we've won at Brighton. They've got to pick up a left off. We will look ahead to Man City later on in the week, yeah. but this thing, you know, Everton can't get complacent. They just think, oh, well, the job's done. You know, we'll, we'll be all right now because we, we went to Brighton, won 5-1. They've got to treat the next game, Wolves. And then obviously if Bournemouth need be like they treated Brighton essentially, haven't they? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's very important, I think, for the supporters, for those loyal but long-suffering Evertonians. For them to enjoy the moment, mm. you know, pay hard earned money in a uh, cost of living crisis, something down the, the country all year um, to watch, you know, to watch Everton. I was going to say, through Finn and Finna. Um <laughs> one away win, maybe there's something in that South Coast air at Southampton, not October 1st. So uh, it's important that the fans enjoy this moment because there has been so few moments to enjoy especially on the road for at least a couple of seasons now, and before that, we go back to the COVID era. Um, so, yeah, let's let's save it a moment in that respect for the supporters. But, yeah, the players need to be on it. They That's been the big concern with Everton, is when they do, on these all too rare occasions, produce a, a really impressive display, a, a good win like that. They don't back it up. There's not those, those back-to-back results put together, or sequence put, put together. Um, they need to sort of get all the best elements out of what they did at Brighton without being cocky, without thinking, oh, yeah, we've got the, job. the job's done now. It's very much not done. They're in a much rosier position now. And it's great that we can actually talk with sort of genuine expectation and, and hope now that Everton can stay up rather than fearing the worst like we, we probably were before that Brighton game. But, yeah, let's harness that now. Let's see Evan actually go on and, and finish the job and sort of build on what we you know... A display that like, yeah it's Manchester City but you're never gonna you couldn't really have a, a better game and like I said we'll talk about City later in the week but that's the toughest cha- um, challenge you've got out there it's facing Manchester City but you couldn't have asked for a better game to go into that after a result like
1: that and performance like that it, That's the, the big thing that we'll is that it's not getting carried away <laughs> not not thinking the job is done just because you've had two yeah. good results or so you picked up four points in two games it's going again and, and making sure that you know Everton now, in my opinion, got to try and do the earliest possible, the earliest chance they've got to confirm their position in the Premier League next season. They've got to be in a position to do that.
0: Yeah, but that's going to be difficult to play Manchester City, doesn't it, on Sunday? And, um, you know, we've spoken have me, about road results can change things. These play Newcastle, don't they? this a Saturday. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, and they've shown that they've got fighting at Manchester City and Newcastle are wobbling. A little bit at the moment, apart from when you play the Goodison, and you know, all of a sudden, you know, and and Forest at Chelsea, you could, you know, we're we're all like sort of on a bit of a high at the moment. We could be playing City, which we're going to be, you know, it's going to be like difficult to get a point out of, and you you could go into that game where Leeds have overtaken you, and know, Forrest maybe have got a point, a further point ahead of you before you play Manchester City. So think, yeah, you know, what what this weekend's shown you, and one or two other weekends is things can change quickly mm-hmm. and we've just got to be on our guard and it hasn't fallen well for us the City game has it really I suppose you would rather have taken this this result into into Wolves away or Bournemouth at home wouldn't you really um, but we've just got to be on our guard and it, it's whatever happens it's it's going to go to the last couple of games at least isn't it I think but um, let's face it we've got City later in the week that, you know, looking at that, a slightly different, different perspective after uh, Monday, quite rightly so.
1: Will, are you prepared to be edge to the seat stuff over the weekend, yeah. watching every game, kicking every ball, and checking the league table every couple of minutes?
0: Yeah,
1: I'm
3: sick of this now. I'm sick of this now. Up yeah. are yeah. going on BBC website, looking at the fixes, even though I don't fall well. well it's it's kick off what days they are, what channels they're on. Uh, yeah, it's. I think Gav's right. I think I think it's a big weekend this one, isn't it? Because I can't see Leicester beating Liverpool. I, I, I just can't see. I think Liverpool have got the, the bit between the teeth, haven't they, now? I think they'll win there. It's the Leeds-Newcastle game that worries me more than anything.
1: does us a favour at
3: the yeah. bridge. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, that's, the, that's the worry one, because if if I if <laughs> was cursing when City... Cursing Garno when he was missed, or Cursing Gundogan when he missed his penalty... Because, like, you you wonder if three could have been become four then and five, and then what does that do to Leeds? But there was a bit of a rally, wasn't there? They got a the goal out of the blue, but then, you know, they pushed it. Any any kind of bit of confidence you can get now, you take, don't you, when you're down there. So I do think that'll be a really difficult game for, for Newcastle Full for Island Road, which will be good. It's, it's a must win for them, isn't it, really? Uh, if Newcastle can win, I'm, I'm, you know, what what a chance that is against City I know we won't talk too much about the City game now because we will do later in the week but like that's huge isn't it because I do think one more win and if Leicester and Leicester and, Leicester and Newcastle were to lose this weekend it, it'd be close but yeah I'm getting ahead of myself there, there we are. and I think it, it, as you guys rightly really said <laughs> let's enjoy Monday let's enjoy this week because uh, it's been one that's been a really tough season but yeah we're, we're still in it and Chris is right we can't think we're out of it yet but yeah I'll be watching 12.30 before starting work I think after you connor on Saturday night, so hopefully on the handover <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> right gents we will leave things there I think we've choose fast enough about all things Everton and Brighton we will of course back on Friday to look ahead to Everton's game against Manchester City Goodison Park and look back on Sean Rice's right? pre-match press conference where I'm sure we can expect plenty more from the Blues boss on all things relegation but for today thank you very much for listening to the royal blue podcast
0: you've been listening
1: to the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo